This is episode 213, featuring a live Q&A from the Endeavor Run Retreat with Olympian Kate Grace, author Matt Fitzgerald, me, 219 marathoner Peter Bromka, and dietitian Lydia Nader. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is a fun one. This is a three-part episode, and what you're listening to right now is part one. Part two can be listened to on Jonathan Levitt's podcast, For the Long Run, and you can catch part three on Matt Fitzgerald's show, The 80-20 Endurance Podcast. Last month, I was a coach at the Endeavor Run Running Retreat in Boulder, Colorado, We had a panel discussion one day with Olympian Kate Grace, 219 marathoner and writer Peter Bromka, author Matt Fitzgerald, registered dietitian Lydia Nader, and myself. We took serious questions, and we took hilarious questions from the crowd, and the result was a memorable hour of fun Q&A with some of the people I respect the most in the running space. Before we get started, I do want to welcome all of our new listeners. My goal with this podcast is to help you think more strategically about your training, make smarter decisions about how you run, and introduce you to new ideas from thought leaders in the physical therapy, strength training, coaching, sports psychology, and other areas to help you keep improving. After all, knowledge is a competitive advantage. Don't miss Strength Running's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning and our home base, strengthrunning.com. Since 2010, we've helped tens of thousands of runners around the world level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses on topics from strength to injury prevention, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you achieve your wildest ambitions as a runner. This episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker. They help you analyze your body's biomarker data to give you a clear picture of what's going on inside you and then offer science-backed recommendations to improve any metrics that are outside of your unique optimal zones. For a limited time, you can also get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store at insidetracker.com/strengthrunning. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Many of the people in this episode, and there are many, have been on this show in the past. You'll recognize one of the US's fastest 800-meter runners, Olympian Kate Grace, as well as my former college competitor and 219 marathoner Peter Bromka. There's my brother from another mother, the endurance space's most prolific author, Matt Fitzgerald, as well as registered dietitian, Lydia Nader. The panel Q&A was held in Boulder, Colorado, with my old college teammate, Jake Tuber, hosting. You can hear Jake, as well as Kate Grace, on the podcast in episode 117. Without further delay, please enjoy this lively conversation from the Endeavor Run Retreat. All right, welcome to the Endeavor Run expert panel here. We've got an awesome group of panelists that are here to answer your questions and a little bit more. The way we're going to do our expert panel after our introductions is we're going to ask them a few questions driven by yourselves, the audience, and others who want to know what our experts have to say. And each of our experts is going to write down their own answer to the question on a piece of paper. Then they'll reveal them at the same time. We'll see what they have to say and maybe have a little bit of conversation about some of the questions. So let me go one by one and introduce some of our experts here today. Right to my right 
is one of my favorite people in general and one of the running world's favorite people uh, and one of the, I would say you would probably describe yourself as I'm an expert. And that is, of course, a true expert. Peter Bromka, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Peter Bromka to the panel. Sitting to Peter's right is the Endeavor Run sports nutritionist and registered dietitian and just best person I know. That's Lydia Nader. Lydia, welcome. Sitting right here in the middle, in the sweet Kenya soccer jersey, is author, writer, fitness guru, and coach to the stars, Mr. Matthew Fitzgerald. Welcome, Matt Fitzgerald. <laughs> to Matt's right, another guru, writer, strengthrunning.com, Fitzgerald himself, Mr. Jason Fitzgerald. Welcome, Jason. <laughs> and then another outstanding athlete today on our panel is none other than the multiple-time United States champion, 2016 Olympic 800-meter finalist, and outright awesome 800-meter runner who just broke her own PR several times this year and is continuing to crush it out here in Boulder with Team Boss. That is none other than Kate Grace. Kate, welcome. All right, so the first question I have for everyone today, imagine you're at a bar. I like it. <laughs> That's it. No, imagine you're at a bar. And you overhear somebody talking who clearly wants to make it seem like they know about running. They say something that causes you to not only roll your eyes, but put down your drink and correct them. What did they say? We need some music. You don't want me to sing. That I promise you. You don't want me to sing. So Matt is jumping right into this penmanship exercise. I'm a little nervous about what he has to share. That's the title. That's the working title. A writer walks into a bar and overhears somebody about running, drops his drink, turns and fights. <laughs> All right, we'll take another few seconds. I have to say, you would correct someone at a bar. None of us would correct someone at a bar, so it's theoretical. Yes, it's entirely okay, theoretical. Good. I wouldn't be in the bar in the first place. I'd be asleep. <laughs> Let's get real. So, uh, Kate Grace, our very elite and prestigious and really noble athlete has already cheated once. She's copied Jason's answers. All right, we're going to turn our cards over on the count of three and see what they have to say. Okay? One, two, three. Kate wrote, how long is that track? <laughs> Jason wrote, I don't even know what that means, Kate. We'll talk about it. Jason wrote, a mile is four laps around the track. I love it. Matt, you can't PR after age 40. Lydia writes, I recommend keto for any athlete and runner. It makes you faster. And Peter wrote that they're bragging about themselves. All right, I'm going to start with Matt Fitz. Matt, you have a microphone there. What is it that you would say if you interjected to someone who is talking about the fact that you can't PR over age 40? Actually, I sort of reversed it. And so I was the guy at the bar saying you can't PR after 40. Okay. And then some dude put down his drink and proved me wrong. But... You know, I started running when I was 11. I ran my first marathon when I was 28 and I was pursuing a certain standard and time went by and I failed and failed and failed and failed again. And I got to a point where I'm like, it's too late. I felt like I'm knowledgeable. I know the sport. I know I understand exercise physiology and after, you know, you can't, you can only fight age for so long. And then I ended up achieving that goal that I had thought time had just passed me by at 46. You know, well past the point where I'd sort of made peace with never doing it. I'm glad I'm a writer because it, I was able to 
sort of pass that along to other people because I, I learned something not just for myself, but something that can give a lot of hope maybe to other runners who are in the position I was in before I was able to achieve that. But I was the douchebag saying that you can't PR after 40 at the bar. <laughs> Fair to say that the title of your next book is You Can't PR Until You're 45. That's going to be the hot take we're Possibly expecting. So. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Jason, somebody says, well, a mile's just four laps around the track. You throw down your drink. Why? <laughs> Because a mile is 1,609.344 meters, and four laps around a track is 1,600 meters. It's really simple. <laughs> now, what if... This is a math question. What, what if they're actually referring to the outside of lane one, and if you ran that perfectly, it'd be about 1,609.3, whatever you said? Nobody in the history of the world has ever talked about the mile like that. Have they? I don't think so. I was I was meeting a mile in lane three point four. That's fair. I don't think so. That's no. Fair. A mile is very specific, and I just I think track is a very objective sport. It's not subjective. So if we're gonna worry about seconds, we should also worry about meters. I love that, Lydia. You hear somebody talking, and they say something about how they recommend keto for any athlete. You jump in and say what? Well, it depends. <laughs> the answer to every good question. What does it depend on? It depends on what you've been training for in terms of the distance, in terms of your goals. But ultimately, if their argument is keto makes you faster, um, I would say, well, some carbohydrates would actually make you a little bit faster. I love that. Kate, can you expand on this notion around the tracks? It's similar to Jason's thoughts around the, the mile there. I just didn't know what to say. And, <laughs> and if, like, I don't know, people sometimes don't realize that tracks are standardized. <laughs> <laughs> So they're talking and they're like, I wonder how far she just ran. Yeah, it's like it, was, yeah. it was a 400. Um, I probably, if I updated it, I would say something about the idea that like you can't run with higher level athletes on their off days. I just feel like a lot of people, if they don't really understand running, is that they assume that people are just running fast all the time. And really like most athletes of any caliber could go for an easy run together because we all have to have easy, very, very sub-max days. I think that's a very common misconception. What's your typical pace for an easy day run? To the point where I don't even know the pace. I actually appreciate doing minutes on like doing it by minutes sometimes. Not on my like easy aerobic runs, probably around seven minute pace. Maybe it's quicker if you're at sea level or slower if you're at altitude. But like for a recovery run where literally it's like after a workout or something and your whole goal is just to move your legs, like I'm 830 pace is not out of the question. Like even nine minutes after like really hard workouts. So all paces are on the table. And for those of you who are wondering, it's a similar Fahrenheit Celsius conversion for us mortals. So you times that by nine fifths and add 32 seconds yeah. and you get your easy pace. Exactly. Right on. Bromka, you would just lose it if somebody was bragging about their running. How come? No, I love it. It's my favorite thing because once you've been around running long enough, you're able to see the douchebag runner from like a mile away because you're like, like that person could even have an Olympic medal, but if they're bragging about themselves, they're sort of like crossing over the cardinal rule of just being a loser about it. Because um, once you've hung around enough humble people who have performed at the world stage, you realize if you're going to be that person bragging, you just you think you're building yourself up, but you're just setting yourself up to like kind of go off that cliff. So it's as if they've outed themselves as the they're person like, oh, who doesn't fully get it. <laughs> All right, here's the next question for you. What is your bucket list race? Grab a new piece of paper. What is your bucket list race? Kate, you just ran the 800 at Monaco. I don't know if that crushes. Uh, that's up there. All right. The six-second countdown. 
You don't have to write in a different language, Jason. You're welcome to. He doesn't run races. It's hard for him. <laughs> this is true. Only strength trains. Do <laughs> you want to switch seats? Should we switch you with? <laughs> All right, let's flip our answers around. <laughs> we'll switch her with Bromka. I got to put her next to the dietitian. We'll switch her with Bromka. <laughs> All right, let's flip them around. One, two, three. Kate, you said the New York City Marathon and something. Uh, oh, Hayward 2022. Absolutely. Black Canyon 100K for Matt Fitz. Iceland Marathon for Lydia. Olympic Trials Marathon for Bromka. And. An ultra. <laughs> Any ultra. Like a Michelob Ultra? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Just, you know, that one ultra race. What about the ultra marathon? That one ultra marathon. Um, is there a specific distance, Jason, that you're, like, interested in doing first? Is it just 30K, it's closest to a marathon, or 50K, it's closest to a marathon, or, like, like anything bigger than that? Grab the mic, let us know. I think I would like to do... At least a 50K, just because the only ultra marathon I've attempted, I've had to drop out of. And so there's a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about that. And I'd like to maybe choose a race that doesn't have 8,000 feet of elevation gain for my first uh, ultra marathon at altitude. And if I was smarter about the race selection, I could probably perform a little bit better. That's and awesome. So, yeah, I'd like to do an ultra just to experience what that was like. I've just come from such a track cross country background road racing where it's just times splits, you know, very oriented towards uh, very specific times. And so an ultra is just so different. Addy was talking about mile times in the mountains yesterday, and, and that is so true. And so it's just a very different type of running that I'm not good at that I think would be really interesting for me to tackle and, and accomplish. That's awesome. Lydia, why Iceland? That's interesting. So I've traveled to Iceland once before. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it is not an easy marathon by any means. It's very hilly. Um, it's in the capital of Iceland. And it's just a beautiful like culture and a beautiful like landscape, even though it's part mostly in the city. And it's just unique. So I definitely want to do like a race there. Because when I travel places and I see how beautiful it is, I want to just go run through it. And to have a marathon to do that with would be awesome. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Kate, I want to hear from you. Uh, you wrote down NYC Marathon. That's probably something that not a lot of people would expect you to say, given your proclivity for middle distance. I was just trying to think outside the box. I mean, I don't know. Marathons are the best. It's so fun. Or just like that race specifically, so many people cheering. I also feel like I've gotten a lot of my bucket list track races. Um, so I think, yeah, having some kind of big city major would be amazing. I just, the like cheering for them is like no, no other. And then Hayward, the new, we got to run in Hayward this year, uh, the new Hayward and Eugene, but it was like kind of empty. So it'd be, I'm really looking forward to next year having, I mean, we'll see, but running in that stadium with the full stadium would be awesome. It is an amazing stadium mm -hmm. and uh, it's next mid, mid to late July for world championships next year. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I guess I was kind of just saying, hey, we're I, all encompassing, we're champs, trials, everything. I mean, I, assume, I would assume trials are there, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sounds amazing. All right, next question, and we're going to go to Matt and Peter for the first answers in the next question. What is something about running that you are an expert in that you think is largely misunderstood? Something that, uh, given yours, your particular niche in running, you think you know more about than most people in the running community? So that's obviously, Kate, in fairness, that's probably an easier question for someone like Jason, given his niche in strength running. But um, I guess in, in this case, you know, your expertise would be in like being a pro athlete or being an Olympian or something like that. I'm going to turn these over in five or so. 
All right. One, two, three. Kate said rest. Jason said improvement. Matt said pacing. Athia said nutrition for the female runner. And Peter, you said running more when you're busy. That's that's pretty interesting. Tell us more. Well, if you're going to run a marathon, you need to run a lot of miles. Um, I always like to say you have to run as many miles as you can. The disappointing thing is at any given time, you have things holding you back from running as much mileage as you might want to. So when people ask me questions, I end up talk. I find I end up talking their ear off about how to gradually build up their ability to run more and more miles and fit in miles uh, around a working schedule with a family. Um, I was just discussing with someone how like meeting your family at the beach saying, yeah, we're going to the beach. Okay. I'll, I'll meet you there. Um, because you know, you got to participate in the beach day, but you also got to get your miles in. And so, um, always balancing those things with the constant pressure of constantly increasing your ability to run more mileage. How much of a chore is it to participate in beach day with your family? I love beach day with my family and that's part of the hard part. Gotcha. Gotcha. Matt pacing, break it down. Yeah. A couple unlucky campers have been buttonholed by me and I've, started on my pacing diatribe, but uh, it's a really fascinating topic for me. And I think if one of these unlucky campers said, can you write a whole book about that? Cause I'm writing a whole book about pacing. And like, if you don't think you can write a whole book about pacing, then you don't understand it. But I think it's, I think it's the entire sport. The metaphor I think of is like, if running is a sweater and pacing is this little thread you start to pull on and you pull and pull the entire thing unravels and there's nothing left left. So look for this book. I was gonna say that's quite a <laughs> I'm book. I'm just trying cheese. to sell a book. Yeah. Can you can you tell us a little bit more like what is one or two major things about pacing that you think's widely misunderstood or not appreciated? Well, I just I, I think it's um it's the fundamental skill of running. Like, you know, we all have a different stride, but so you can learn better running form, but better running form can't really be taught necessarily. But with pacing, it's just this fundamental skill. And also, you know, I started running in 1983 when we didn't have all the gizmos and stuff. And now I, I see it, you know, people are getting worse and worse and worse at pacing because largely because of the tech. Um, also, people grow up differently now. They're not racing around as much and learning to feel their own body's limitations. So it's to me, it's almost like this skill, you know, skill pandemic. It's like this, uh, there's an, like an urgent need for this to be addressed. Too soon. Yes. Too soon. Yes, exactly. It's like the time I was doing a talk and I, I, I mentioned it was the year after the bombing in Boston. And I said I blew up in Boston and like the room just was like all oh, the man. air went out of oh, it. Yeah. Like I, someone had to tell me afterward what I said. That was the worst. This wasn't that bad. No, not, <laughs> not nearly at all. Not, not nearly at all. I'm just teasing. Uh, Kate, rest. Grab the mic. Well, I was just saying like people, what people misunderstand in terms of I obviously – Everyone understands how to work hard. Not everyone, but people who are at this retreat, people who are probably listening to this podcast who care enough about running are understanding how to push themselves. And I think the idea of whatever the whole saying is that like the workout's not done until the recovery's done because that's when that's when it's actually you're actually getting the benefit from it. Um, so whatever that means for you, whether that means eating or having yeah sleeping well that night, whatever is possible. Um, I think the corollary to that is being much better at taking time off for injury. I don't know. People suck at that. Honestly, suck so bad at it. And it's like, it's okay to take a few days off. And I think that it's so not of a culture of our sport. And I think, again, understand why, but um, I don't know. I don't even, I wish our conversation would change. I think the problem is there's a lot of like kind of 
feel to it. There's not really a science to like when to take time off, you know, uh, I wish there was, but uh, yeah, it just, people get injured way too much. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit as a group, um, this notion of taking time off. And Matt, this is a question for you and, and Jason probably I'd, I'd dive into first, which is what are the actual ramifications or benefits of taking a couple of extra days off? I hear folks, especially if they're in the middle of a very specific marathon training plan. This is my plan. I've got to stick to the plan. I have control over my running when I execute the plan. And this notion of something doesn't feel right, my runs feel off, or I'm a little actually dinged up in a way that's very noticeable, but I can't take time off because that'll throw off the whole plan. What is actually, I mean, are you actually throwing off the plan and you should, or are you actually not really throwing off the plan and, and people are wrong? Talk to us, Matt. You're never more likely to get injured than when you're really rolling with your training. So when it's it's hard to find those warning signs. Like if you if if you got like a you know a hot spot in your foot, okay, you know like it's getting close to that that time. But you know I found like especially in more recent training cycles when I have all of this experience, when I'm in that purple patch and like everything's just coming to me that's when I get nervous. And I'll actually try to do what you say is the smart thing and be proactive and actually not get greedy. The, the instinct is to get greedy. It's like, wow, I'm really firing. Let's see how far I can push this. And then boom, you're, go, you're off the rails the next day. So it just takes discipline. And I think probably experience, you know, cause I hit my head against the wall over and over before I finally learned to get nervous when things are going well and maybe just get a little, like you're fit. You're, it's all, it's all, it's all there. Just don't F it up at the last minute. And then just, then you might, might proactively you know, dial back a little bit. And Peter, you've had a lot of experience running in your 30s and generally at that time, pretty injury free for a guy who, as you told me before, was injured a lot in college. How do you practice balancing, especially as you mentioned before, fitting in a lot of that running into a really busy life schedule and other things, feeling like, well, maybe I have even, you know, as, as a pro, maybe if you take certain time off, you can catch it back. That's your job. There's probably more pressure, I would imagine, to some extent on someone who feels like, well, I've only got this one time to get in this week's long run. If I don't get in my 15-miler, this whole thing is shot. How have you been able to improve so much as you've gotten older, staying healthy? What's been your key around that in terms of rest? Well, I'm actually curious, Kate, how you talk about this, because I think you have actual deadlines in your schedule that are you don't just get to pick like another race. And I'm also really interested because you have a hands-on, like an in-person coach who I, I think we all think, oh, well, the pro, like the coach says, now stop, you know, stop now. It must be easier for them. For me, I, when I started back into running very seriously about eight or nine years ago, I actually said to myself, the one thing I'm not going to do is get injured. Like, I'm not going to do this like I did before because I knew that I'd go through a cycle of injury, frustration, sadness, um, you know, just judging myself for thinking I didn't want it enough. And that's why I was getting, you know, lot, the spiral that injured runners go through. So I knew that if I was going to pick it up as a hobby, I needed to first and foremost, not overdo it. And then related to that, I realized I've been on this awesome journey. That's just been a fun hobby. And there is no, I would push back on your question. There is no real time frame because you can have fun this fall and then you can have fun next spring. It makes me realize that my high school career was actually just about like 20 months maybe then high then college with uh, the ups and downs like I maybe raced for you know 30 months uh, total um I remember that pressure distinctly now and now that I'm older I realize like oh yeah you can pull back and as much as it'd be fun to run that one race there will be another race Jason when you do one-on-one -on -one coaching with runners and you've probably observed folks who are so eager to gun it and are not as 
I guess Kate really nicely articulated, and Kate, this is one thing that you said in a way that stuck with me, this idea that you have to try to work hard to rest well the same way you work hard to run well in order to recover and get those benefits. What do you tell runners when you're coaching them one-on-one to try to help them appreciate? If someone was listening to this and was like, Jason's my coach, I'm going to listen to what he says, what would you say to them to make it really clear or illustrate for them just how important it was? I think I might start with what Matt was talking about. And and that was exactly my personal experience as well with running, where whenever my training was going really well, you know, my miles were up, I was just rocking workouts, I was feeling good, everything was going well. That's when I would almost just be like, that injury is right around the corner. I'm so nervous right now because this is my pattern. This always happens to me. And so I, I think not getting greedy is, is a huge part of it. And it's a little bit easier when you're working with a client because you can plan not getting greedy into the training plan. Sure. And, you know, you can also talk about proper pacing and make sure that at certain periods of the training cycle, we're really going to focus on slow on some days. And, and that can be really valuable. But then just talking about the, the very fundamental aspect of, adaptation that you actually get faster when you rest. So if you have a great long run on a Saturday and you're supposed to take Sunday off, you know, that is just as important as the long run because your body's going to do its repairing. It's going to recover, adapt to all that hard work that you're doing. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's appreciating both sides of the coin. It's the hard work and it's the rest, the yin and the yang of everything and how they kind of fit together. Uh, and I think if runners really start to understand that and, and more importantly, experience it, you know, it, it's going through a training cycle with maybe taking a day off every week when they never did. And then having a great race and realizing that, wow, I actually can rest and rest purposefully and then still have a good race. I think that it goes a long way into building the confidence that runners need to, to rest uh, and, and that's another interesting part of it is I think resting work does require a lot of confidence. You know, you have to be confident, uh, you know, if you're a pro runner to run nine minute pace on an easy day, cause that feels probably really slow. And, and I know many people who would never run slow on an easy day and, and it's not because they're good. It's because they don't have the confidence to let someone pass them on a run who maybe doesn't look like they should be passing them on a run. And it's okay because you're on a recovery run. And so a lot of that is just experience. It's hitting your head against the wall a bunch of times and, and having to learn the hard way through trial and error. Uh, and that's important. It's an important part of the learning process. Kate, when you're doing recovery days, is it just I'm not running today but having my normal day? Or is there an active thing where you're like, I need to sit in these compression boots and do this for a while? How active versus passive is your recovery day? I mean, again, I think the greatest superpower for recovering is sleep, right? Like the most, the only proven recovery tool is sleep. And so that is the main thing, like sleeping a ton at night or not a ton. I mean, I try to be like pretty regular. So not, so yeah, like every night get however much I'm getting. Uh, Also, again, I'm like a professional runner. So I have a lot of ability to do that or other people it's like obviously if you have life there's you can't maybe get nine hours of sleep every single night or whatever and also will nap generally like on hard hard workout days those would be the main things yeah it's (laughs) I'm also I tend to at this point my really slow runs would be like a shakeout like three or four mile run I think they're also obviously you have a coach that's teaching you I think there's probably a negative to going way too slow of pace 
uh, and just like pounding your body for an hour versus just like literally not doing it. At that point, if I'm literally running that slow, I should just not run mm. or like elliptical or something. You have to be in enough of a rhythm so it's not just plots. Well, yeah, your like what's the point down? then? You know, yeah. like why why are you even doing it if your heart rate's not? I mean, so I I just realized I'm giving this advice and I'm like I actually wouldn't do that for an hour at this point. Um, but I think that there's again yeah a value in like my uh shakeout three mile four mile thing is can go whatever pace you want. Um, or having some kind of cross training in which like you're just the only goal is to get your heart rate to like 130 or whatever. Um, which probably would be that slow of running, right? Um. What was your question? Recovery days? Yeah, I mean, that's the basic thing. Eating good meals. Uh, again, I think one of the hard things sometimes is people like get off of their eating because they always tag their eating to their runs. So trying to still stick with like good meals three times or whatever versus just like randomly snacking, um, getting in your protein. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to actually use that to transition to Lydia's answer, which was around nutrition for female runners. Lydia, I'm sure you have, I know, actually know for a fact, you have great talks online about this kind of topic. You've spoken at length about it. If somebody said to you, I've only got 30 seconds of time, what are the headlines I need to know about female runners and nutrition? What would you highlight? Track your menstrual cycles to know your nutrition. Never skimp out on protein and focus in on your electrolyte intake. That was, oh my goodness. And you need a whole book to write that, huh, Matt? Yeah, geez. Jason, you talked about improvement overall. That's nicely vague and gives you a lot of latitude. Expand on that, would you? Sure does. Um, no, I've just kind of found that when I talk to runners, I can generally, within a couple minutes, from hearing about their struggles, their goals, what they're currently doing with their training, I pretty much have a good idea on how they can improve. You know, I have I have two, three, four, five good suggestions on uh, do more of this, do less of this, change this up, add this in, take this out, and just trying to get your training to be a little bit more strategic based on where your fitness is at right now and what your goals are. And so, yeah, I just feel like I can I can hone in on the big low hanging pieces of fruit that we can immediately start picking off the tree and keep improving. Okay, yeah, please go ahead, Jace. Hand her the mic. Oh, well, I just had a, I thought of something else for recovery. Oh, great. Again, this is for anyone, not just for running, but it's the whole question of what is actually rejuvenating and recovering versus just like distraction and zoning out, and which mostly to do with phones and whatever else you're going to be able to look at. So I think the goal of anyone's life should be like, what? can give me like can rejuvenate myself lower my cortisol whatever in my life even if i just have an hour to do it versus what's gonna how am i gonna waste time and yeah uh so for me personally it's like maybe not fully going on like getting lost in my phone for hours and maybe like reading or doing some kind of something musical but everyone has their own answer to that that's a really insightful idea though this notion that recovery is not just about not being running or taking time while your body adapts to the stimulus you gave it in yesterday's workout, but also giving your mind a chance to lower your cortisol levels and not necessarily by chasing sort of dopamine of Instagram and things like that. I don't think enough people, I certainly know that's a newer idea to me, this idea of kind of the active or more deliberate notion of being passive. Obviously, there's ways to do that very actively, meditate, yoga, et cetera. Um, curious if anyone else on the panel has any thoughts about things that you do to sort of do that. Yeah, Jason, please. Well, I, I just wanted to add to that, and I, I thought it was so spot on. I had a really interesting conversation with an author, Christy Ashwanden. She's wrote an awesome book called Good to Go, all about recovery, 
And it's really about the science of recovery, like what actually works, what's going to help you recover more. And a big part of her conclusion is that relaxation is so important. And so whatever helps you relax and, you know, usually scrolling Instagram or Twitter is not really that relaxing from a brain perspective. You're not in a very relaxed, certainly not Twitter effort. Exactly. <laughs> And so it's finding like, I think reading is is probably like one of the best things, like you're engaged, but also you're just in a very slow, deliberate state, you know, even like watching TV, I think can be really relaxing because you're not really doing anything that is is stressful. Uh, whereas like social media can be stressful in a certain way. And so it's it's not necessarily doing a lot of things for recovery, which I think a lot of these tools can be super helpful, but you know, she had a great line saying, uh, recovery used to be not doing things. And now recovery is doing all these things. Whatever happened to just putting your feet up on the couch and, and reading a book? Because that's probably one of the better things for you. That's really insightful. And actually, you just helped me make a connection between a runner that I used to work with a little bit who would really look forward to their rest days where they would explicitly do a lot of baking and gardening. And they had a pretty good track record of coming back each week, being able to build really well. And I just thought it was like a hobby of theirs. I didn't realize what a positive impact that probably had on their rest and relaxation. So thank you for that. That's really insightful uh, points by the two of you guys. Um, next question for the panel. And there's part one of the Endeavor Run expert panel Q&A. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to catch part two on Jonathan Levitt's podcast for the long run and part three on Matt Fitzgerald's The 80-20 Endurance Podcast. Finally, don't miss the great savings you can get from our sponsor, Inside Tracker, on your next blood test. If you're curious if you're training too hard, too little, or if any of your internal biomarkers might be curtailing your progress, Inside Tracker can help you analyze your body's data so that you're not guessing, but you actually know. Go to insidetracker.com strengthrunning to save 25% today. Inside Tracker was founded back in 2009 by aging, genetics, and biometric scientists to help you get a firm idea of how well you're responding to training. Understanding your body's biomarkers, from stress hormones to testosterone to vitamin D, can help you figure out if you're overtraining or you're optimally training. But the best part is that once you get those values, they give you personalized optimal ranges for each of those biomarkers and a whole host of ways to improve those markers through both diet, lifestyle, and exercise changes. I've personally gotten two ultimate tests from them, and I'm about to get my third. And for a limited time, you can get 25% off any test at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. This is a big deal because these tests are admittedly not cheap. They give you a lot. So stack the odds in your favor and give yourself every advantage with a personalized blood test. Go to insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning to save 25% today. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. Next year, I hope you'll be in the audience at our next running retreat. Until next time. <laughs>